Hello and welcome to today's college football episode of Unqualified Analysis. Tonight we've got a packed show starting right off the bat with some NFL nonsense, some Monday Night Football, and the latest Odell Beckham Jr. hype. Free Odell Beckham Jr., am I right? I mean, I guess so, dude. (laughs) The Browns certainly thought so. With that, we're going to move on to Week 10 of college football where we had a pair of undefeateds lose. We had some cool upsets. College football playoffs have never been shakier except for, well, Georgia. And finally, we've got a little bit of MLB nonsense and a little bit of NBA drama that we're going to catch all up on and ship you all off for the weekend. So with that, then, let's go ahead and get into the Bears versus the Steelers. Caleb, God bless Cairo Santos and camera angles. That kick looked like it was definitely like a (laughs) doink right off the bar, but as I have been corrected, it was really closer to like a 57-yard field goal. And we look like geniuses. Four and four on the week, Caleb. Give ourselves a hand. That's right. We are perfectly average yet again, my dude. Let's do this shit. But uh, yeah, that was was incredible magic of camera angles there. Honestly, live, I was like, oh, man, because I thought it was off the crossbar. But no, looking at it from the from the side angle, holy shit, dude! That was like that was way short. That was yeah. Just, if it wasn't such hilarious. a muggy day in Pittsburgh, I was just like, holy crap, dude! Like he could have gotten that. He could have gotten a sixty-six yard field goal, but there was no way. That wasn't anywhere close. But uh, we gotta give hats off to Justin Fields. He might actually be legit. I think he had probably his best game to date. Passed for just under three hundred yards. Was actually pushing the ball downfield and. Matt Nagy might actually keep his job. Yeah, you hate to see it. And I love how 127 left to go. There was a fumble return for a touchdown by uh, Devondre Houston Carson. Never heard that name before. Me either. Did you actually watch the end of this game? Because truth be told, I was half asleep. Can you go through this for me? Um, I honestly don't remember it super well. I just remember <laughs> watching the fun. I remember the fumble happening. There are a few questionable referee calls where TJ yeah. Watt kind of got blown up on a chop, but like at the same time, he wasn't even actually touched. Um, it looked a lot worse than it was. It looked much more like a soccer penalty kind of thing going there, but the Steelers definitely had a little bit of help from them. And, I mean, Najee Harris was doing Najee Harris things, but there's no way that he's going to survive very much past his prime. He's There's no way that he's going to live long past 30 years old, right? Not with that offensive line, man. I feel like they're just running him into a brick wall or someone just, like, is standing there taking a baseball bat to his knees every time they hand off the ball to him, man. I mean, it is just... It's terrible what they're doing to him right now, but they have to they have to commit to the run at least, right? They got to at least like give him a threat. I guess I guess I just wish that they would split carries a little bit more cuz he's getting killed back there. He's yeah. getting like what? 3 4 yards a carry, sometimes less than 3 yards a carry in a given game. It's just brutal watching him play out there. But for what it's worth, he's on pace to break the Steelers rookie rushing record. I think he's on pace for like 16, 1700 rushing yards. <laughs> their previous record was like 1,060. Like, they're, he's just going to smash that record. Okay, what's the record for carries? That's what I want to know because I think he's going to smash that one. Okay, to be fair though, you know who would a lot of destroyed the carries record just in general in the NFL was Derrick Henry. Because, like, people weren't really like thinking about it, but he was leading the league entering this week by like 250, 300 yards. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor. Oh, yeah. Has yeah. really caught up, but 
Derrick Henry also had like 90 more carries than the next guy. So there is a bit of volume to that too. To be fair, Derrick Henry is also like when you're built like a defensive end, I guess you can kind of withstand a few more hits. I guess it's yet to be seen how the longevity works on that type of player. Because honestly, there has, there's been a lot of power backs, but there's never been a player quite like Derrick Henry. And I don't think Najee Harris is quite that, but if you keep running them into the line like that with the the crappy offensive line that they had that you know isn't getting a whole lot of help from old Noodle Arm Ben, it's gonna be it's gonna be a short career for Najee Harris. So maybe just like preserve his body a little bit. I do love, however, shifting to the special teams. How Chris Boswell is just a straight up football player, man. Every yeah, man. game, he's great. He somehow finds a way. Just gets in there, gets in the scrum, and finds a way to get absolutely depleted clobbered every single game this time it was on a fumble recovery where he fell on the ball and he was kind of like awkwardly upright and just got absolutely destroyed by two or three different uh players on the bears man i mean it was it was something beautiful to watch yeah and this is after a week where he had gotten kind of decimated to be honest on what was a semi-freak play trying to get a fake uh field goal for a pass off and just getting slammed into the ground and getting their backup kicker who's actually a punter in the game so I mean we got to give props to Chris Boswell he might be the toughest kicker in the league right now at the very least he's the most concussed I would I would argue probably I also want to give some props to Cassius Marsh funny dude um an okay electric outfit electric wardrobe dude that dude knows how to dress I loved it yeah um kind of questionable with refs though uh, he, he was okay with the taunt, but, um, you know, to go up to the ref and just kind of hip check him like that, I mean, it's a little egregious. Like, that's something that you could very easily just avoid. So you think he went up to the ref and hip checked him? That's literally what happened. Is okay, the ref was I don't know. There. I saw the ref sticking out his ass. That's all I'm saying, dude. I did not. If anything, I think Cassius, Mar- Cassius Marsh like accidentally ran into the ref and I mean, the ref was I don't, getting I don't think way. it was I don't think there was any malicious intent either way honestly I just thought like if anything it was the ref that was doing shit I mean he could have taken a wider stance I guess cuz you I mean you know how these refs are they're aloof right like they're all constantly getting run over by people in basketball it's all about positioning and you use that ass a lot when you're setting screens for people and you just yeah. stick that ass out just like that like the ref did I've done it before in games as a former dirty rec basketball player. I have done shit like that all the time, dude. So don't don't tell me. I know what it looks like when he's sticking his ass out there. Give him a Charlie horse right on the thigh. Well, that brings up a good point because with the rate that things are going for Odell Beckham Jr., he might be sticking his ass out for money next week. He's uh, I mean, cleared the waivers when some people thought he might not. He said that he's down to the Packers, the Saints, and the Chiefs. But those are all going to be tough locker rooms for him to mesh into. And um, he hasn't signed with anyone yet. And accounts are that he's probably not going to sign until next week, if I had to guess. There is, there where there's smoke, there's fire. I think there is some locker room issues you got to worry about with Odell. But when you really get down to it, like anyone, you, any of the former teammates you ask him, like ask about him, like they all say they love him as a teammate. He works hard as shit. It's just... When he doesn't end up getting the ball for a long period of time, or if things really aren't going well for a long period of time, it feels like he's a bit of a time bomb. Like 
You saw that, yeah. that happen with the, the Browns for a while. I mean, he never really picked it up at all the time he was there with the Browns. He was injured all the time and eventually blew up. But he's always working hard. If he gets the ball, he if he's fed like a like a star receiver, which I guess he's not really a star anymore, but if he's fed at the very least, I think he'll stay happy and contribute to a team. Yeah, and I mean, you have to think that the Packers are probably the best of these three teams for him to go to. Um, he could be a very solid second wide receiver, but my question then is how will he mesh with the Packers and LaFleur duo? Because you know that Aaron Rodgers is definitely uh, the figurehead of the team, and he tends to have a thought process that's not always conducive to how things should be run. So I'm sure they're going to butt heads at some point. Well, well, here's the thing. I think if they do butt heads, it'll be in more of a constructive way, if, if I had to imagine. Ideally, it, ideally, you would say you, you can never tell until you get to the situation, but I think Aaron Rodgers' play style fits well with him because Aaron Rodgers is the type of QB that likes to get outside of the pocket and trust his arm to basically make every throw down the field that he can. And Odell Beckham, like we were talking about on the previous episode, he's one of those players who does well with improvisation, getting open on the, I guess, the route after the route you would call it, and that's what Aaron Rodgers has done basically his whole career with Devontae Adams and all the receivers he's played with. So I think if he goes to the Packers, that's going to be an offense that I don't know how you stop it. If, if Odell Beckham is even a fraction of what he once was in in addition to what they already have there, which I think a lot of the stuff that Aaron Rodgers has said has been a little bit overblown as far as the, the weapons and receivers there. When you look at it, Gutekunst is kind of drafted pretty well along uh, that receiving core with the exception of uh, Eli Rogers. So you add Odell to that and it's just poetry yeah. there. Yeah, I think that the Chiefs are probably the most suspect of the three to go to, despite the fact that Patrick Mahomes is there. I mean, they just had a game where he had one of his worst performances. He's had consistency issues this year and their defense is just so horrible any given week that he's having to make these kinds of risks. But I think the Saints are an interesting option, but I'm not sure it would really work out well because the Saints are one of those teams that really values the locker room a lot. As we've seen with Brandon Cooks being traded in the middle of his prime and Michael Thomas being out in limbo this entire season, Odell would definitely improve the team. And I think that Trevor Simeon is an experienced enough quarterback to where you add Sean Payton in and the trio can figure some things out. But I think Odell would give an interesting spark plug to the Saints that it could be good, but it could also just completely tank the playoff chances. Yeah, and I don't think adding him to the Chiefs would be a good idea because I feel like at this point, when you're adding a receiver in there, especially one like Odell, where you know he's probably going to take a, a large role in the offense, you want to go into an offense that's kind of, I don't know, at least clicking, like they have some chemistry together. For some reason, the Chiefs this season have been like completely disjointed all year. I mean, outside of the outside Mahomes, of Tyree Tyree, Kill, there's yeah, just nothing Mahomes, going Tyree on, Tyree Kill right? connection's been doing well. Outside of that, yeah, I mean, Mahomes has been, Kelsey's no been good, game. but yeah, no running game to be, be heard of. Um, Mahomes has been inconsistent all year. He's been missing guys down the field. So it's not really something that you think Odell Beckham would thrive in, even though Mahomes is one of those QBs that he thrives on improvisation as well. The Saints, I do think he would help the team, but the difference between the Saints and the Packers is I think he gives the Saints a puncher's chance at winning the championship, whereas he gives the the Packers like an inside track. Like they become the NFC favorites if he ends up, if he ends up there for the rest of the season. 
Yeah, I think either way, it's going to be an interesting scenario. It's going to add a lot of drama to both the Packers and the Saints, who you have to expect are going to be the two real front runners. I think the Chiefs, he's only considering because of Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Pretty much. But we're going to move on from that because this is a college football podcast. We have one more final NFL note for you real quick, though. Nick Chubb is out. He uh, was in contact. No, he actually did get uh, COVID, right? Or he was in yeah, contact with vaccinated. COVID. He's vaccinated, but he did get COVID. He just has to test negative twice, two days in a row. So he has a chance so, yeah, of playing a chance, this week. Yeah. But Caleb has said that he is sticking by the Browns to beat the Patriots, regardless of what happens to Nick Chubb. Is that correct? Yeah. Dearness Johnson is still available, and they just extended their two guards inside, Wyatt Teller and... Um, that's true. God, I can't forget. I can't remember the other one, but that's why that's why they're good. We we always talk about it because they're they're a bunch of no names. We don't hear about them because they're so good. So yeah. Yep. If you hear know. about Either offensive linemen, the they're probably bad. Pretty much, yeah. So I got the Browns, except for uh, Quentin Nelson, that guy. I love watching that guy play football. We could talk about that another time, though. Let's go college football. All right. Let's go, man. So week ten. Um... I'm going to let you hit this off because Mississippi State and Arkansas had a bit of a barn burner at the end of the game. Yeah, and I got to gotta just kind of dig this out of my subconscious there because I just just happily buried it there for a little bit because it's not a not a fun ending to this one. At the end of the day, I mean, it's one of those games where you see a lot of lot of good good stuff from Mississippi State. They push the ball down the field. Will Rogers is really starting to, to come into his own. Uh, another game where he just lit it up 75% passing uh, completion percentage uh 400 yards four tds all that good stuff uh at the end of the game he literally did everything he could like in the last two drives he did everything he could for mississippi state to win the game he was nine for nine 132 yards wow had a touchdown led them into position to tie it late uh, just happened to uh for some reason i don't know what the hell the deal is with the kitch- kicking situation for Mississippi State, but we got two kickers. One of them is a bit of a thick boy. The other one is a skinny guy. Thick with two C's or three like, C's. We'll we'll say a C and a half. Two C's would oh, say wow. that he's got he's got some heft to him. He doesn't really have a whole lot of heft to him. Just got a little, little chubby. I think both of them are honestly freshmen, so there is that. But the 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 bigger guy is apparently the short field goal kicker, and the skinny guy is the long field goal kicker. Which I mean, on its on its face makes no sense whatsoever. Flexibility, but I guess, it, I guess. I mean, flexibility is a huge thing when it comes to kicking. People always talk about strength, but look at Justin Tucker. He's not as big as Matt Prater. Yeah, I, I guess so. At the same time, though, they're still college kickers, and uh, I don't know. Ruiz, the guy who was you know the the thicker boy. I mean, on the shorter on the shorter kicks, he took like two of them. He missed two of them. So it's not one of those things where I guess you want to trot him out there. And he's not great at the longer field goals anyways, but do you really want to trot in a, a, a true freshman for a possible game-tying field goal on, like, the last play of the game? His first kick of the game as the last play of the game? Like, do you really want that? Because do you have I any other options, though? Use the other guy. I don't <laughs> care if he missed. I don't care if he already missed in the game. You got to go with the guy who's been kicking the whole game. I mean, you're 99% of the time... I don't even remember the kid's name because, to be honest, college kickers don't deserve my time unless they've hit, like, a bunch of field goals in a row at this point. 
and especially in Mississippi State, if I remember their name, they're going to hurt me anyway, so it's just going to be worse. On Arkansas' side, though, K.J. Jefferson was, like, really solid. He was honestly had a classic, like, SEC stat line, I feel. Mm. At least the SEC of the early 2010s, maybe not the recent spread SEC, but, I mean, he had 83% completion. He had 190 yards. He had a touchdown and no picks, so he did everything you could ask of him. It's exactly what Arkansas wants to do, that's for yeah. sure. I mean, if you're going 82% completion percentage and you're able to run the way they were able to get just over 200 yards as a team, two touchdowns, I mean, that's pretty much exactly where they want to be as a team. Um, but yeah, a few more a few more notes on Mississippi State. Again, I've said it probably a bunch of times at this point, but shout out to that receiving core, man. Ra-Ra Thomas, who literally no one has heard of, probably has... Two touchdowns in this one. Makai Polk has another eight eight receptions, 100 yards. Austin Williams, 18 yards per reception. I mean, this receiving core is deep, and I am ready to watch them going forward. And I'm excited to see what happens with another year of Will Rogers in the system because he's already about as good as you can ask for at running it, and he can only get better from here. I'm excited to see what happens next year, as I, I usually am as a Mississippi State fan. Yeah, and I mean, because of this game, um, unfortunately, Mississippi State drops out of the top 25. I believe they're yeah. still a win away from bowl eligibility, but hey, you've got three games to figure that out We still. usually have a complete cupcake right before the yeah. Egg Bowl. So I know LSU has gonna one have that. right before the Tamu game. Um, but Arkansas, as we'll discuss a little bit later, actually snuck back into the top 25 ahead of their battle for the Golden You're Boot. welcome. You're welcome for the quality win, Arkansas. So to move on to our next game, we had Auburn versus Texas A&M in a 13 versus 14 game. Texas A&M just completely dominated this game. Uh, Defense was mostly the name here as Bo Nix was just very non-existent here. He was under 50% on 41 attempts. Why are we still passing it when you can't even make a throw? At least run it more. Fuck. But he had 3.7 yards per attempt. Per attempt. Why? <laughs> That'd be bad for a Why? running back. That would be a bad yard per carry stat for a running back. Do, do you know how awful that is? For yeah, man. A yard per attempt for a quarterback? Because I think so I heard, bad. like, to stay in the NFL... 3.5 is like the minimum. And really you want to be closer to like 4.5. Even 5. then, yeah. Even then, 3.5, you're going to be there for like a year and a half and you're on the street pretty much. You yeah, you're like you're four, like really. the third down back at that point. You're there to get the third yeah. downs and the goal line touchdowns. That's all your job is. He put that up as a quarterback through the air, man. I mean, pretty, pretty impressive. For Texas A&M's defense, that is, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, for Texas A&M, it was... A solid game. The Calzone was okay. Um, he's about what he's been all season, which is very classic SEC, I feel. I say not that, but great. like, realistically, <laughs> classic great. SEC is like, not good. <laughs> classic SEC is like below average quarterback play, let's be honest here. If you remember yeah. like back in the day, like there were no QBs getting drafted from the SEC. Well, think it about it, right? So players. like... I feel like the classic SEC season that like really made the SEC decide that they wanted to change was the 2011 season with LSU versus Alabama. Game yeah. of the century. 
goes into overtime where the final score is nine to six. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Weren't uh, wasn't LSU running like a QB a two QB system at that point? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So we had we had Jordan Jefferson, who was a bit of a dual threat guy, but he was a dual threat guy yeah. because he couldn't pass. And then Jerry Lee yeah. was a pocket passer that couldn't pass. And then on Alabama side, he was just a, who at least I just remember Jarrett Lee being like a, a fat guy with an arm, pretty dude, much. Dude, Jarrett like Lee couldn't really. He was solid, really but move. he was shook against Bama. He had no mental, dude. I mean, he couldn't really move a whole lot, but he could throw it downfield and hit one every every once in a while. But yeah, that that was your SEC quarterbacks up until like a couple of years ago when they started bringing in all the all these offensive guys and Saban uh, finally I feel like figured Tua out I, was like the first quarterback. Yeah, I think when Saban when Saban brought in uh, when Saban brought in Kiffin, like everything changed in the SEC pretty much. Because I think as Saban yeah. goes, the SEC goes, and once he started bringing in like dynamic offenses, everyone else was like, if we even want to like stay in the stadium, we have to do the exact same thing. I think. Yeah, and I mean this this was a throwback to that. Honestly, this week for the SEC was mostly a throwback to that. I feel outside of the Tennessee and Kentucky game which was a yeah. complete shootout. And I'm going to say it right here. I think that Tennessee is the exact team that could upset University of Georgia. I think that they've got a really fun offense that has a ton of yards in it constantly. And they have the kind of offense that Georgia hasn't really seen before. I think that this could be a sneaky upset. I'm not going to bet on it, mm-hmm. but I think it could be. I think this is the best chance. Yeah, this is the best offense that Georgia's faced all year, and this is the best quarterback that they've faced all year, for sure, in Hendon Hooker. I mean, this game was really weird. I mean, if you look at the offensive stats, just the possession time alone, you think, okay, Kentucky had 46 minutes of possession with Tennessee only having 14 you would think that Kentucky won the game, right? But Tennessee, still in just under 14 minutes of possession time, put up 461 yards of offense. Hendon Hooker had about 16 yards per attempt. Yeah, <laughs> that's threw insane. Over, threw over 300, 316 yards on 20 attempts, four touchdowns, no interception. That's That's just silly video game type numbers in this game, man. I mean, it was such a fun one to watch. And I think it's hilarious that University of Kentucky had over two times as many plays as Tennessee did. They had 99 plays versus Tennessee's 47. They outgained them by 150 yards. And it still came down to three points where Tennessee was able to take it. I think that Josh Heupel's really got them going in a good direction. And I'm really psyched to see how Nalen Pops next season especially maybe they start to get into that conversation of a top 10 sec team is that too ambitious to say do you think i mean the way that he's performed in the first year i think he's certainly he certainly exceeded my expectations for for sure i just assume that tennessee especially under garantano and really the way they played before that i mean i guess with with the exception of of dobbs but uh i kind of just assumed that they would be not as good as i expected but this year they pleasantly surprised me with the offense and all all the stuff around that. I mean, one one final little fun stat that came from from the Tennessee offense today: the average length of their scoring drive was forty five seconds. Dude, that's a video game. <laughs> when they scored on a drive, it was in forty five seconds. That's just insane, dude. Like that's like. 
you're you're throwing like basically like getting thirty yard chunk plays and getting in the 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 end zone like in no time. I mean to do that on especially on Kentucky's defense, who has been traditionally stout basically the whole year. I mean I guess they've been they've been gashed a few times now at this point, but I mean against a solid team, I mean you got to think Heupel's offense must translate really well to this conference, and I look forward to watching them really bring up the East a little bit more to the standards of the West. I would say. And so I'm going to say this because Scott Frost actually just got an extension, though it was with the uh, assumption that he's going to take a pay cut and clear house a little bit in an attempt to That seems to, to, to be a Nebraska. popular model. Seems to be a yeah. popular model right now. I mean, I think a lot of it is the sentimentality, but I bring him up because Josh Heupel was the heir apparent to him for UCF, but Josh Heupel didn't have the same caliber of season as Scott Frost did, but... It seems like Josh Heupel is going to end up much richer because of this, because he's really come into what's probably the toughest conference in the SEC East, which is starting to really rise with Kentucky ranked, with Georgia ranked. We'll see how that goes um, down the line. But Josh Heupel is really, really acclimating well to this. Yeah, and sometimes it's better to be the second guy, man. He didn't do as well at UCF, but... Look where he ended up. He got the better job in the end. I mean, U- UT is no question a way better job than Nebraska right now. I mean, Tennessee has at least a natural recruiting base where, I mean, Nebraska, you got the corn-fed boys, but when you really look at it, the reason they were so good before is because they were kind of able to to bend the rules with getting guys who were, like, morally questionable and, like, 25 years old a lot of the time. So the, that era is over. Tennessee, on the other hand, they're able to get – somehow really good recruits. I mean, they have a better recruiting base than than Mississippi State, that's for sure. And they have a pretty solid recruiting base, I would say, compared to a lot of places. After that brief overview into modern-day SEC, we're going to flash back a little bit with our classic LSU versus Alabama rivalry. And this game really surprised me. It was 20-14. to 14. Um, LSU held Alabama without a score in the first quarter for the first time since 2016. And it came down to a Hail Mary. LSU threw a pass into the end zone and it was batted down at the last second. LSU had a chance this entire time to win this game. But ultimately, this is just a down year for LSU. No doubt about it. We're, we have a self-imposed ban on for the postseason because of the whole Les Miles stuff. And probably a little bit of a leak from the Coach O stuff too. Um, we've got eight injured starters on defense, a few more on offense. Max Johnson is just not progressing the way that we think he will. And I think the most notable part for LSU here is there have been talks that they're going to start Garrett Nussmeyer, who's a true freshman five-star quarterback, next week. He's been okay in his past performances, but LSU just doesn't have a pension for having star quarterbacks like Bryce Young or Tua in or Jalen Hurts in her first year. So, I mean, look, man, you might as well, right? We're we're four and five. You've got Arkansas up next. Fuck it. Just throw them out there. Exactly. At this point, I mean, what are you playing for in the season? Like, I mean, I guess it's 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 kind of yeah, it's 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 harsh to say, but yeah, it's literally just pride. So you might as well see what you got behind them. You've got like I don't know, you have a specific amount of snaps that you can actually play a, a backup before you have to burn the red shirt. You can still red shirt him and give him some playing time here, I'm pretty sure at the very least. So I mean I yeah. think the red shirt's it's, off at this point. 
Uh, I so, think, I mean, I think either, they've committed not to redshirting him. Yeah. Either way, just just see what you got there at the very least. I mean, it, does, it doesn't hurt anything. Max Johnson hasn't really lit up the defense, so... Might as well see what's behind them, but this is really all you can all you can ask for in a game with Alabama at this point. If you're LSU, just keep it keep it close, make it a good game. Honestly, it was I switched fun to over shave for sure. Yeah, I switched over like in the middle of this one to go watch the Kentucky and Tennessee game because that one was just I didn't have a rooted interest in the, in the uh, LSU Alabama game, and that one was just so much more fun, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine, man. Um, one that we do have a little bit of a rooted interest in is. LSU's rival and your head coach rival in University of Florida dropping to South Carolina. And all we have to say is, Dan Mullen, you're doing a great job in your big boy job. I think it's time to pump up the resume, get the CV going, and find you a new one, though, because there's no way he's staying without uh, getting on his knees and getting a little dirty, if you know what I mean. Yep. Fire up the old Microsoft Word, man. Just kind of... Check on the old resume, make sure it's nice and up to date because you're probably going to be looking for a new job here soon. But there is a bit of a sliver of hope, I would say, because we were talking about it a little bit earlier with Scott Frost. There is a very interesting model coming in here for coaches who are looking for one more chance at the one more crack at it here. Easy for me to say Um, if he's looking to take a pay cut and fire all of his assistants right now, teams have been willing to. Let him let 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 head coaches like hire back the entire staff again. Just get different assistants, just with a with a better pool for uh, for paying those assistants. So I mean, you get a better staff overall. Maybe it ends up working out, and you end up winning a little bit more. Uh, Jim Harbaugh has done it too at Michigan. That's kind of what they're doing this year. It's kind of why they're they're a little bit better. So we'll see if they end up doing that, especially with the LSU and the USC jobs available, but. One thing is for sure, I don't think Florida actually wants him there right now. If they keep him, it's because they're kind of stuck with him. Yeah, I think that LSU and USC have already put their stake in the ground, so they're going to figure things out, and they're honestly just better jobs. I mean, think about Florida, right? Like, they've had Dan Mullen, they've had Jim McElwain, they've had Will Muschamp. Um, There was another coach in there somewhere that I don't remember, but like, the last good coach that they had, really, that, like, actually propelled them was Urban Meyer. And before that, yeah. Steve Spurrier. Like, they don't really actually have a whole lot of success in the modern era. So, I don't know if Florida is as prestigious of a school as you might think. Florida, as a state, is just kind of down, I feel, right now. Well, the problem with Florida is that the state itself is studded with talent, but literally... Every school dips into Florida to get recruits. Like I think there's probably recruits from Florida on Mississippi State's team. I mean, oh, I bet. literally everyone poaches from Florida, and it gets to a point where it, you get a, a nice. It's a nice pie, huge pie. I mean, delicious. But if you're just getting like a little square of it, I mean, it doesn't matter how big that fucking pie is. You're still not going to get a whole lot out of it. And when you have Dan Mullen. He's not really ever been known for recruiting. Low key, he's just kind of kind of been like a like an offensive minded guy, very scheme oriented. But even at Mississippi State, he didn't really have a penchant for getting top twenty five. Dak Prescott classes. was like a three star wide receiver, wasn't he? Like he wasn't he was a very top two star two star tight end, I believe. And then they switched yeah, like, him over. That's a freak to, accident, yeah. there, dude. He's great at taking a box of nails and making it into a house, but he's not great at, at like getting 
really high quality materials to build the house, you know, like he, even, even down at Florida, he hasn't, he's kind of struggled with recruiting down there to a certain extent. So, I mean, again, it's one of those things where with the LSU and USC jobs, it'll be hard to attract a, a candidate to come there, especially with how batshit crazy the whole booster situation is there and how impatient they are all the time. So I think they might just be stuck with Dan here. He'll just have to take a pay cut and fire everyone and start over again, see what happens. A little uh, fun fact for you that I learned about recently, but Louisiana as a state actually has the best talent per capita. And New Orleans specifically has the highest talent per capita. Um, I believe that's NFL players. But, I mean, if you're a five-star recruit, you're much more likely to enter the NFL than a one-star recruit. So I would say it's a positive correlation, but... Louisiana is one of those school or Louisiana is one of those states that a lot of people really sleep on that I feel really helps like the Texas programs, LSU, Alabama, and your boys in Mississippi. I mean, Dak Prescott is from Sulphur, Louisiana, which is not that far away from Baton Rouge. Only a couple hours. Uh, We have a wide receiver there right now. I think, uh, I think Malik Keith is from, uh, from new Orleans. I mean, we, we get, we get people from Louisiana all the time. We are not sleeping on the talent down there. We just take what we can get because y'all get the best of them and we can kind of like, you know, take a few here and there, but yeah, it's a really that whole Mississippi Delta area. We talked about it before, like both Mississippi and Louisiana, Alabama, Southern Mississippi, Louisiana, uh, East Texas, I mean, it's all just fucking loaded in that area. And, you know, sometimes you just get lucky with where you're located. And certainly that's the way it is with Mississippi. But uh, going forward here, moving out of the SEC, let's take a look at probably the most fun of the fun game of the week. And we kind of called how it was going to go. Wake Forest versus UNC, man. This was just a barn burner. 58 to 55, UNC barely pulled this one out. I mean... This was just incredible to watch. How much of this did you catch, Zach? I caught pretty much all of it, and I was thankful because this game was really fun. It looked like Wake Forest was going to pull away for a while there, but UNC stormed back with some untimely interceptions by SH, known as Sam Hartman, not Sam Howell. Unfortunately, despite having seven touchdowns, five of which were passing and two were rushing, he threw two untimely interceptions that led to a 24-point fourth quarter for UNC. And Sam Howell ended up coming out the better for this. Both quarterbacks, though, were no slouches. As I believe between the two of them, they had uh, well over 600 passing yards. And they probably had about 100 to 200 rushing yards between the two of them as well. But we got to give some props to Ty Chandler because he had over 200 rushing yards and he had four touchdowns for UNC. He was really the difference maker where Wake Forest didn't necessarily have a lot outside of Sam Hartman to help him. Yeah, as a team overall, UNC ran for just under 340, just under seven yards per carry. 6.9 yards per carry, actually. Nice. Can't shortchange that one. And they rushed for six touchdowns, dude. Six touchdowns. Between Sam Howell and uh, Ty Chandler alone, it was 317 yards in all six of those touchdowns. So, I mean, Jesus Christ, this Wake Forest defense is just, everybody can get it. I thought that the Ole Miss defense was bad, but the Wake Forest defense never ceases to surprise me at this point. And honestly, honestly, I love this team so much. I think they're 
they might be my side piece to the side okay. piece that I already had in Cincinnati. Respect. I mean, you know, we were just just drinking, we were talking. I mean, they're so fun. They're they're wild. A lot of stuff happens, and you know, you're drinking. You know, things happen sometimes. You know. We're gonna move on to the Big Ten, however, where we had a, a big upset. We, uh, as I thought, Purdue is just god killers this year. I mean, they took down Iowa when Iowa was number two, and basically sent them into a downward spiral and they might be on pace to do that as they just dismantled Michigan State in this game it was never really close they won by 11 points Michigan State sorry to say but you guys might not be playoff contenders at this point I mean look the CFP is putting more respect on Michigan at this point which is crazy considering Michigan lost to Michigan State but OSU is the favorites at this point yeah, we're gonna get into that a little bit later. That's a that's a whole wild situation that makes zero sense to me at this point. But credit to Purdue, man, they got a a hell of an offense offense this year. Aiden O'Connell, five hundred yards, three touchdowns, basically ten yards per attempt. The guy just lit the Michigan State defense on fire. And I gotta really ask the question: Is Miss- Michigan State's defense actually good? Or do we just assume they're good because they wear that green jersey and Michigan State always seems to have a good defense? Because I think I fell into that mental trap for a while of, oh, they're Michigan State. Their defense has to be good. Well, Mel Tucker is known as a defensive coach, and they had some really good performances earlier in the year, but the past two games have really been the alternative. I think it's really just a lack of consistency. The stars are shining a little too bright for Michigan State, maybe. But, I mean, you have to give credit to Purdue. I mean, Tax the Rich, AOC, had over 500 passing yards. So, he did everything perfectly for this team. They're on the up and up. And, quietly, Purdue has snuck into the head role for the Big Ten West. They have to play OSU next week. But, if they win out, they are in the championships. Not Wisconsin, like everybody might seem to think. Yeah, man. And, I mean... Hey, they're a solid team to come out of the West. They'll probably give whoever they go against at least a run for their money. I guess it's probably, you would think, Ohio State, but who the hell knows with that division at, at this point. Um, yeah, but I mean, that, that defense overall for Michigan State feels like the numbers are feels like the numbers are pretty damning. I, I mean, maybe Kenneth, Kenneth Walker is, is good enough to have him overcome it down the stretch. I mean, at the end of the day, this is their first loss. So they could still win out and get to the college football playoff at this point. But like when when you're a run-centric team and your defense is kind of a liability, that gives me a little bit of pause when uh, kind of thinking about them down the stretch as a playoff contender. I think at this point, it's probably safe to assume that despite what happens, it's going to be a one-loss Big Ten team that's going to contend for the playoffs, if you have two losses on the year, there's no chance that you're making it at this point. Not I mean, they just, at this point, OSU, Michigan, and Michigan State all have a loss. And they all, I believe, Ohio State still has to play both of them. So that alone is going to mix things up. And, I'm hey, maybe Purdue or Wisconsin can surprise somebody in the Big Ten and just leave them out all outright. Honestly, this game just blurries the picture even more because we thought Michigan State was a team that could be legit, but they've really faltered this past week. Like I said, I think they can still stay in it, but they're a team that 
it, it's hard to see with the way that they're constructed really going forward. At the at the very least, competing with they they still have to play Ohio State, right? Yep. Am, am I correct in that? Yeah. So I mean, against Ohio State, I feel like Ohio State definitely has the edge there because I mean. Their defense isn't world beaters, but on offense, they have dynamic passing and rushing. Whereas, I mean, Peyton Thorne has been good at times, but you can't rely on him to make plays in the clutch like you could with maybe C.J. Stroud. He hasn't been a world beater at times either, but he's certainly had stretches where he looked like a Heisman contender, which is something you can't say for Peyton Thorne. That being said, though, as we look at the Ohio State versus Nebraska game, Ohio State ended up winning, and I've been saying for the past few weeks, look, you handle your business, things will end up turning out all right. But Ohio State does give a little bit of pause as they have shown some consistency. inconsistency. They've already lost an out-of-conference game, so that does help them that it's out-of-conference, not in-conference. But Nebraska is not a quality team, so to only win by nine points and not really pull away until the second half it does give a little bit of pause, despite the fact that C.J. Stroud was not the issue here. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like the numbers tell you that C.J. Stroud had a solid day. Those two interceptions kind of give you a little bit of pause. I think at the end of the day, what, what tells me that it wasn't like the best day in the world is, I mean, all the credit to the in the world to him, Jackson Smith and Jigba was an actual absolute star in this game, and he really took all of the passing yards for C.J. Stroud, but he had over 60% of the passing yards. When all, like 60% goes to one player, it reminds me a lot of like like Derek Carr in the NFL where he relies basically solely on Darren Waller. It's one of those situations where you want to see him spread it around a little bit more. For better or for worse, you still got Chris Olave, so maybe maybe throw him a few passes as well, but that's just... Still hey, don't forget about Travion Henderson, though. He's been really shining. He could be a Heisman candidate within the next year or two. Definitely is looking like an NFL caliber player as he got 90 yards this past game and he put in some production in the air as well. He's turning into a very dynamic player, the next heir apparent in a very long line of running back royalty for Ohio State. Yep, we better get used to seeing him. He's going to be around for at least one more year, probably two. I don't know. Two. He's a true freshman. True. Here's the thing, though. With the COVID year, he could have been in school last year and still be a true freshman. So it, it fucks me up. I'm not entirely sure. I'll take your word for it and say that he's still got two years, which is a scary thought. But really, at, at least on, on the defensive side, you could say Ohio State really held him down. I mean, the only player that had any sort of a good game for Nebraska was Samori Torre, who, you know, four receptions, 150 yards, had a bunch of big plays, but not really much else outside of those four catches. So, I mean, at the end of the day, a win is a win. They didn't look impressive, but Michigan State lost ahead of them. So all they had to do was win and they were going to move up anyways. Yeah. And I mean, we're at the crux of the season where things get really interesting because, yeah, we might have the top four teams playing in uh, late December, uh, turn of January. But the Big Ten is having all of their heavyweights go at each other right now. Ohio State and Purdue are going to be playing next week, and Ohio State still has to play Michigan and Michigan State. So every single game is going to be a must-win game for every single Big Ten team if they want a chance. And 
I believe it's uh, Ohio State plays Purdue next week. They play at 3 o'clock, and then they play Michigan State the following week at noon. I want to say that that game is in Michigan State, but I'm not 100% sure. Either way, Ohio State really has to shore up some of this inconsistency if they want to compete at the top. Absolutely. And at the at the very least, with that upcoming schedule, they don't have to worry about style points in that case. They just got to worry about getting from point A to point B, exactly. figuring out how to win the game at the very least. Just does not matter how they do it. Just make sure the final score is in your favor at the end of the day. They don't have to worry about any sort of score problems like they did with Nebraska going forward. But with CJ Stroud as the QB, he's been really, really good at times, but still... To this point, against really solid opponents like Big Ten opponents, he hasn't been, he hasn't had that performance that makes you say, oh yeah, he's definitely a guy, he's definitely an upper, upper echelon quarterback that you would, I guess, in NFL terms, want to start a franchise with, right? I mean, at this point, he might just be young right now. The game against Minnesota just fucks me up because I remember watching that game and he was just so despondent, at least in the first half, and... I've just got that in my mind now that he's that player that he's still a true freshman. So we do have to lay on the brakes a little bit for him. But there's definitely some concerns there because he did throw two interceptions in this game. But with that, we also had Oregon versus Washington in a game where Oregon has to just plain and simple win out. They cannot afford to lose a game after having lost to Stanford. And they won in a very similar fashion to Ohio State where it wasn't ever really a game that they ran away with. Anthony Brown was uninspiring in this game, but Travis Nine Lives Can't Die had over 200 rushing yards and a touchdown to boot, and he really led this team. Oregon is a fun, high-octane offense, but I'm worried that they don't quite have the consistency and Anthony Brown might not be a quarterback who can take them to that next level. Yeah, and I mean, pretty much all of these teams that were in the race for that three and four spot in the playoff right now, I mean, they all kind of like like faltered and teetered right now. But the thing is, like we were just talking about with Ohio State, since Michigan State lost, all, all they all had to do was win and they would basically move up at the end of the day. So not, not really like, luckily for them, they didn't need a whole lot of style points because I figured they would have to come out and absolutely stomp Washington if they wanted to stave off Ohio State for another week. But uh, yeah, I mean, Michigan credit to them, handled that for them, though. Yep, a cre- credit to them. A win is a win. They don't have to worry about it right now. Um, yeah, we'll talk about the, the nonsense of the rankings later. I mean, right now, just talking about Oregon makes me want to talk about it now, but I got to I gotta <laughs> wait at the, at the end of the day. But hey, yeah, like I said, like I said, a win is a win for Oregon um, in interconference rival. It's a down game for Anthony Brown, but I assume he'll bounce back. They got to win them all, and they got to win them big going forward, though. Yeah, and since he is no exception to that rule, as they play Tulsa, and with SMU faltering for another week, their only real chance at playing a ranked opponent is probably going to be Houston in the championship game at this point. And since he really does give a lot of concern, because we love, love, love the Bearcats. But they just keep finding ways to put some undue stress on us. They had two goal line stands against Tulsa that could have gone awry at any given moment. And this is a game where they need to really blow them out, but only won by eight points. And I believe Tulsa only had like two wins heading into this game. 
at this point, I feel like the only way that Cincinnati is going to be able to make the playoffs is one, they just keep winning. And two, like everyone around them loses just like absolute chaos ensues to where everyone has like two losses and the committee literally can't, can't justify keeping them out of the playoffs. I mean, other than that, it feels like, and again, we'll talk about the rankings in a minute, but just the way it's, it's shaping out, like the, the committee has made it. So it's going to be literally impossible for Cincinnati to make it into the playoffs. I mean, they've kind of spelled it out with their own play here recently and that they haven't blown out teams, but to the point on from now on, even if they blow out teams, I think the hay is in the barn at this point. They're at six, but I just can't see a scenario where they even get in the playoffs, which is sad. It, it hurts. For one last mention, we haven't really talked about Notre Dame a whole lot. They tend to be a team that gets kind of overranked, but we do have to put some respect on the fact that they only have one loss this season. I believe it's to Michigan State, believe it or not. It was actually to Cincinnati. Um, that's right. It was to Cincinnati. And, I mean, they're a top 10 team, and they completely blew out Navy. And Jack Cohen is looking solid. He's got 270 passing yards and a touchdown. They've got a solid two-headed running back duo. Notre Dame could find a way to sneak into the playoffs, don't you think? I do think the big problem, though, is if Cincinnati's not going to make it in and you have that one head-to-head loss with Cincinnati, I think no matter what, Cincinnati's going to end up ranked ahead of Notre Dame. And if Cincinnati's out of the playoffs... There's no way Notre Dame is going to get in the playoff at the end of the day. So, I mean, it just, as we can tell, they have been able to do mental gymnastics and jump teams over the other one that have a head-to-head advantage. And I'm sure they'll try and do it again, but that just wouldn't make a a whole lot of sense to me. And also, I mean, Notre Dame is just perpetually overranked in my eyes. I feel like they would get blown out by basically anyone they would play in the playoffs. So, nah, keep them out. Sure. With that, we've gone over all the games that we felt were worth mentioning for Week 10. So we're going to move into the Heisman Watch as we've got about three games left for every team. So things are looking much clearer than before. I believe the Heisman gets announced December 1st or within that first week of December. And we have a few contenders for sure. If I were to announce my vote for the Heisman, I think I'd have to put Kenneth Walker, right? Like, mm-hmm. they did have a bit of a down game this past week, but he's been absolutely electric. I mean, he had five touchdowns against Michigan. He still put up almost 150 rushing yards in a game that was well fought by Purdue. Yeah, agreed. And right now, I would have Kenneth Walker as well. Um, he still ended up having 140 yards rushing six yards per carry in the loss. So, I mean, he was still he was still an absolute workhorse in that game. It's just kind of hard to come from behind as a running back. But at the end of the day, I do feel like Bryce Young is going to have something to say about it. I think it's going to be right neck and neck to the very end with Kenneth, Kenneth Walker and Bryce Young. Um, right, right to the very end. I think it'll be like just neck and neck down to the very last minute. But I think the third one you can throw in there at this point is Still, I would say probably got to be Kenny Pickett. Kenny man. Pickett or Kenny Matt Pickett's Corral. Been one of those carrying two. Pittsburgh, man. Matt Corral has kind of slowed down a little bit, I feel, but Kenny Pickett just keeps on the accelerator. I mean, he had over 400 passing yards of his own, and 
if it wasn't for Wake Forest, we'd be talking about them as possibly the best team in the ACC, right? That's true. I do think Matt Corral gets a little bit of credit for being in the SEC West, though, because, I mean, he's doing this against uh, arguably the best defensive division in the country. So, I mean, there that's fair. There is that, but I do think, you know, Kenny Pickett is overall probably having a better season. It's just kind of like, I don't know, what, what's what's your preferred flavor when it when it gets right down to it? Right. I do want to put some respect on Anthony Brown. We did just talk about how he has a little bit of consistency issues, but that's mostly just been shown in the Stanford loss and in this past week. But he's been a very solid dual threat quarterback with just under 2,000 yards. He's got 11 touchdowns to four interceptions. He's, I believe he's like top 30 in QBR for a team that isn't necessarily known for the quarterback play, but more for the finesse and the athleticism of their running game where he also has 400 rushing yards and seven touchdowns so he's putting in a lot of production for a team that's in the top four yeah and you got to keep in mind in college too that yard per carry average 4.7 you got to factor in that in college they count the uh the sacks against your rushing total so it's probably yeah he's probably actually a little bit more efficient even than it looks on the sheet there so it's really Really a big weapon there for the for the Ducks, but also got to give credit to Sam Hartman because I mean they lost. How could we? They that? lost this week, but that handsome son of a bitch still had seven total touchdowns at the end of the day. I mean, if he can keep put up putting up performances like that, and they keep winning, it's going to be basically undeniable for him to at least get to the finals for Heisman voting. You would think. I don't know, man. I'm still holding out hope for Stetson Bennett. I feel like the man can lead Georgia. Look, he might not have put on the greatest performance this past hey, week, but hey, if, Georgia's the greatest if AJ team in McCarron, college right now. If AJ McCarron could be a Heisman finalist, so can Stetson, Stetson Bennett, man. That's, that's fair enough. Fair enough, dude. <laughs> so we have our playoff rankings. Um, real quick blurb. I want to point out that the AP poll definitely put some respect on the LSU-Alabama game as they kept Alabama underneath Cincinnati for this week, though it was only by four points. But for the college football playoffs, they did not feel the same as they had in their top four. University of Georgia, number one, which we have to say, especially after the LSU-Alabama game, that Georgia is in a tier of their own. Not even Bama is in that tier. There's a big old no-brainer, yeah. They're just the best team right now, yeah. But then to round out the top four, we have Bama, we have Oregon, and we have Ohio State, which is about what I expected heading into this. But Cincinnati did jump a spot hey. since Mrs. Michigan State lost, so some respect there at least. Hey, they're right there. That being said, let, let's 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 be honest here. Just looking like I'm not even sure we're not really going by the notes right now, but just looking at going ahead for Oklahoma if they beat. Baylor this week, they go up against Oklahoma, they beat them, they stay undefeated, they'll, they'll jump Cincinnati at the end of the day. So, I mean, I'd love Probably. to see him. I was thinking that I'd love too. to see him at five, but at the end of the day, it just feels temporary, especially since Houston still isn't ranked. I, for, I didn't honestly know that SMU lost, so I kind of, I mentioned them, but I mean, yeah, they don't really deserve to be ranked if they, they just lost again, but Houston doesn't get any respect there still. It just feels like the committee is structuring it in a way where since he's going to have literally no chance, I mean, they can do anything they want from now on already talked about it thus far, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's, it's an uphill battle for them just based on the strength of their schedule. But looking at six, they put Michigan instead of Michigan state. That's disrespect, man. I just want to know how, 
how can they put Oregon ahead of Ohio State based on the strength of a head-to-head win, but jump Michigan State over or mo- jump Michigan over Michigan State? That makes zero sense. It's literally the exact it's same brand, man. Michigan's probably like the number one brand in college football. Let's be honest here. And Ohio State's not a big brand either. With that logic, not as they, big as Michigan. Are they not as, as big, big as Michigan? Are they as big as Oregon? Because I feel like if we're going like based on brands, like <laughs> based on brands, Look, I feel like man, Ohio State dwarfs. They don't Oregon. make sense to me either. Shit. I trust me. I don't disagree. But we do have to give some props to the now number nineteenth ranked Purdue, who has cracked in. And they could move as close as to the top 10 if they beat OSU and handle their business. Will it happen? Probably not. But one thing I did want to mention, too, that uh, we didn't talk about earlier, but with their win over Michigan State, their all-time re- or all-time, they have 16 wins against a top five ranked team when they are unranked. That is the most wins by any program. Purdue is a legendary god killer. Unfortunately, they're ranked this week, so they're not going to be able to extend that streak. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Also, do you think they, they kind of regret being ranked this week going into Ohio State? They showed too much, man. They should have only won by like a point or two. Exactly. They shouldn't have been so impressive in their win, so they at least stay like 26 or something like that, like just outside of the top 25. That way they have a better chance of beating Ohio State. Now that they're ranked, I don't think they got a snowball's chance in hell right now. Do you think that Wake Forest still has a chance? They're ranked number 12 now. I mean, I don't know if they still have a chance to make the playoff, but they're going to be fun from from here on out. I mean, I fucking love to watch those guys. I mean, they got a great offense with Sam Hartman and all the weapons around him. Uh, the defense is fucking terrible, so they play fun games pretty much every time. All of a sudden, the ACC has just turned into the the Big 12, and all of, they all have offenses and quarterbacks and no defense whatsoever. So, I mean, I don't know if I feel like I feel like with Trevor Lawrence leaving, all the teams were just like, "All right, now's yeah. my chance." You know, they got the Kanye West just rubbing yeah. the palms together, like, "Yeah, now's our chance." And every team just explodes at once. And it's like, wait a second, actually, we can't all be the best team. But that being said, Wake Forest plays NC State this week, who is a ranked opponent who has two quality losses. And they probably have to play a ranked opponent in the championship. So it's not out the question that they'll definitely still be in the top 10 if they handle business. But maybe they sneak into the top four if the Big Ten is just catastrophic. Hey, I'll tell you one thing. If Cincy drops a game and Wake Forest and Cincy have the same record, they'll rank Wake Forest over Cincy. Oh, 100%. Yeah, for sure. I'll tell you that I think much. UNC's ranked, though, to be fair. They are not right now, I don't think. I think they're, like, just outside the top 25. I mean, it's it's hard to say with the playoff committee rankings because they, they're they so vague with how they rank them. They don't do, like, an honorable mention list. They just do, like, oh, here's they're, the They're ranked in the AP poll. Yeah, they're like 23rd yeah. in the AP poll. That's what it the is. The AP poll always seems to be a little bit more reasonable. But, hey, one team that's ranked on the AP poll that finally got their due on the uh, the college football playoff after the, the hell of a week that the committee got is uh, UTSA. Welcome to yes, the Roadrunners. Let's go, you flightless bird motherfuckers. Thank you. Welcome to the oh, top fast 25. Little cheetah-looking motherfuckers. You, you sexy-ass, fast bird-looking motherfuckers. What's going on, dude? But hey, welcome to the top 25. I guess after that full week that the, uh, the committee had to hear about 
all the hate against the group of five and how they, they hate the group of five. They don't respect them at all. They think they're, they're a subhuman species that doesn't deserve to be in college football. They're like, fine, fine. We'll throw you a bone, give you UTSA. They, they have, they're undefeated, so fine. We'll let them in, but not Houston or anyone that might help Cincinnati. Houston's ranked. Are they ranked? Yeah, they're like 17 or something like that. In the AP poll, maybe. Not in not in the college football playoff rankings. They're still not ranked. I'm telling you, they hate the group of five. Wow, they're seriously disrespecting. I'm telling you, San Diego State has the exact same record. I would venture to say Houston is a better team than San Diego State. San Diego State is at 22 right now. Like, Dude, it makes why no is sense. San Diego State still ranked? Who the why hell? is Utah? Why are Utah and Arkansas ranked ahead of? I want to know what rich ass booster at San Diego State is lining the pockets of these committee members right now. Because if there's one thing I know in small coalitions like the committee is that it's rough with rife with corruption because they're easily bought. Okay, and I don't like it. I don't like it. All right. It's like the IOC. But with that, we're going to move on to next week's games. We're going to start with some contenders first. We have Oklahoma returning from a bye. They're playing the now 13th ranked Baylor. This is going to be probably the biggest chance that Oklahoma has to show that they're worthwhile in the top four. I mean, they're really going to have to ball out, right? I mean, Baylor's got a solid defense and Oklahoma has looked very suspect. Even when Caleb Williams was at his greatest, he was still not quite there because he would always have some kind of very obviously freshman mistake. And it's been proven in the past couple weeks that he's had a little bit of inconsistency too. Yeah, agreed. But here's the thing. If they come out from here on out and they just, just blow teams out of the water and they're really impressive on offense in particular, I mean, basically all is forgiven at that point. They're an undefeated team. If they beat Baylor this week, if they beat Oklahoma State later, if they win the Big 12 championship with an undefeated record, I think they're basically a shoe-in for the playoff. They'll get four, Probably. I believe. I mean, it's hard. At worst, they've got to be six. At, At worst. An unbeaten Power 5 conference champion is going to get in every single time, especially over teams like Cincinnati. I think even, even I would say Oregon, if they won the Pac-12 with one loss, I think they would put Oklahoma ahead of them just based on the resume they have. I mean, I think Oregon, they still got a chance to uh, beat Utah. I don't know if they've already played them this year, but if not, they'll probably play them in the Pac-12 championship if nothing else. But even then, Oklahoma will have a better resume if they win out from here on out. So, I mean, hey, this is the turning point. It's either it's either you, you crumble from here or you make a name for yourself from here. It's all your choice. Next up, we've got Georgia versus Tennessee. We went over this a little bit, but I think that Tennessee is one of the best opportunities for Georgia to catch a loss here. Uh, as we mentioned, Hendon Hooker has just been lighting it up on offense. Josh Heupel seems to have them going in a good way, in a way that would make Lane Kiffin proud that he was not able to do on Nayland Field. Yep. And I mean... Georgia's still the perfect team, but Stetson Bennett, JT Daniels, they're no Hendon Hooker, let's be honest here. Well, here's the thing, if you know anything about if you know anything about the uh the, the Tennessee fans' feelings on Lane Kiffin, uh they don't give a damn how that man feels, I'll tell you that much right now. But uh yeah, the the one chance I would give Tennessee in this game, they've had a great season this year. 
I mean, you got to give them all the credit in the world. They're going up against Georgia right now, though, and it's going to be it's going to be tough. But the one the one chance I would give them is Hendon Hooker having an absolute monster of a game. If he has a great game, they score quickly. They maybe like punch him in the mouth a little bit, jump out to a lead. I could maybe see him pulling this off, but at the end of the day, I have seen Georgia's defense absolutely demoralize every solid QB they went against this year. And I don't expect it to be different this time around. Another game that we broached on was Purdue versus Ohio State. I mean, Purdue is a bunch of God killers. They've got all the confidence in the world after beating what was the number three ranked team in Michigan State. And they're going up against Ohio State in Ohio State's field. So this is going to be their best chance to put on a real damper on the Big Ten and possibly leave them out of the college football playoffs. It should be a very fun game no matter what. This might be the rare like shootout in the Big Ten, man. I mean, Purdue's QB last week had over 500 yards. Uh, Ohio State, we all know what the offensive track record is there. I mean, they have a vaunted offense. I mean, really, this has all the ingredients to have a high-scoring, fun game to watch around 3 p.m. in the afternoon, competing with the SEC, but hey, I'm still probably going to watch it. I mean, you'd love to see Purdue unranked here, coming to try and try and punch up in this one, but hey, they're ranked. You can't really hate on them. I think they'll probably keep it close at the very least, but I do think Ohio State is going to win it in the end. Just another mention, too, Cincinnati's playing South Florida, who's 2-7. and seven. Look, man, this should be a gimme game. They've got to win this. Um, yeah, too late moving was on to Michigan. Yeah. Moving on to Michigan State versus Maryland, I could see this being a weird game where they just came off of an emotional loss. Maryland has a lot of pride. They're one game away from bowl eligibility. Um, Kenneth Walker is going to have to take off for this team to win, right? Like, they, they seem to be out of sorts. Yeah, and I think... Their playoff hopes aren't done. I hope I hope the coaches have have impressed that upon them that hey, the season is not over right now. They we can still make the playoffs if we run the table from here on out. So it feels like this is going to be one of those hand the ball to Kenneth Walker 30 to 40 times. He's going to get 200 yards, three touchdowns and they're going to win by a a pretty good margin here if I had to guess. For our next game, we've got Notre Dame versus Virginia. If Notre Dame wants a chance at getting into the playoffs, they've got to win every game. And UVA is a quietly solid team. Brennan Armstrong has almost 3,600 <laughs> passing yards. That's a hell of a stat line got, through nine games, dude. That's a hell yeah, of a stat line. He's got 27 touchdowns versus eight picks. So Notre Dame's defense is going to have to prey on his tendency to maybe throw an interception or two here, but... This could be a sneaky loss for a vaunted number nine ranked Notre Dame. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I feel like Notre Dame is going to stumble on one of these teams down the stretch. I can't see them winning all of these. They always seem to... (laughs) It's the Brian Kelly way. It it always does seem to be the Brian Kelly way. He will win you 10 games, not 11. He'll win you most of the games you're supposed to. But hey, this just kind of stresses what I was talking about earlier with the ACC being the new Big 12, man. I mean, even UVA's got a guy that absolutely lights up the scoreboard. Just a fun conference overall. Hey, maybe they can do some damage against Notre Dame in this one. We'll see what happens. And for our final contender, we have Washington State versus Oregon. I mean, it's just plain and simple. We say it every week, but Oregon's just got to handle their business and ideally things will go right. Washington State seems like they should be another solid win for Oregon as 
They have Jaden Delora throwing for 1,900 yards this season, but their offense is pretty weak. Their running game's non-existent, and they are running with an interim head coach as their head coach and some of their assistants were uh, not too keen on some of the state-mandated vaccination policies, yeah, so guy, yeah. they've been let go. Yeah, he had issues with players over the summer as far as like COVID-19 issues and stuff like that, so uh, yeah, there was... There, there was a whole lot of stuff there where it felt like I was honestly surprised when I when I heard this that he was still employed there. Honestly, like I thought, I thought he had they have five wins too. Like they were over five hundred despite yeah, having all these issues. So props to him. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, he must be a solid coach at the very least with all the other stuff going on there. But uh, man, yeah, you're, you're Nick catching Rolovich to USC. <laughs> I mean, it seems like a classic USC C type of hire, but. Where's the lineage there? They don't hire anyone who wasn't a coach there when Pete Carroll was there. That's all I'm saying. But, uh, yeah, as far as Oregon is concerned, they're catching Washington State at a good time right now. they got to beat them down if they want to stay in their spot because they, they can get jumped at any time here. You never know with this committee, man. They've already shown that they, they feel a certain way about the group of five. I can't imagine the Pac-12 is that far off in their minds from the group of five, don't you think? Yeah, I mean – You've got the Big Ten, you've got Wake Forest, Lion Wake, you've got Oklahoma, you've got Cincy. Any misstep by any of these teams that and three you're and out. Four. I'm I'm still waiting for Bama to maybe lose. Yeah. Honestly. Like I'm I'm genuinely surprised that they weren't bumped down to number five. I mean, yeah, if it, hot take, but I, I mean fair right, right? fair enough. I mean, you got an argument for it, but if Bama loses, I mean, that makes it like two through four. Right now it's just three and four, but two through four would be cutthroat absolutely yeah. it's a complete toss-up right now as to who's going to get it week to week it just basically is who performs the best so I think it's going to end up bringing out the absolute best in these top end teams and I can't wait to see how they perform the next few weeks especially since some of them are going to be going against each other here soon so we're gonna head into some of our favorites that uh, might be interesting to watch we're gonna start with your boys in Auburn they're the 17th ranked team unfortunately Y'all are out probably, if I had to guess, you guys are probably like top 30, top 35 still, right? Like you guys still we have, still have a bunch of you. We have a bunch of quality wins because of the division we play in. So it's like we're, we're five and four, but we have three ranked wins. So, you know, yeah. you, you, you take it for what it is. I think if we beat Auburn, we would get ranked back in the top 25 again. So, hey, if it happens, it happens. It, it would take a lot of effort, though. Going into Jordan-Hare is always a tall task. When it comes to this matchup, you always want to get him at home for Mississippi State. But I feel like with the front seven, the way it's playing for Mississippi State, the way the secondary is playing, I feel like they can bring out a little bit of the bad Bo Nix. And uh, it it all just kind of comes down to how Mississippi State moves on on that Auburn defense. In the past, it's been one of those games where Auburn has just had just a superior talent level to where they've overpowered Mississippi State. And if if that doesn't happen, then... Should be a close one where Mississippi State should have a chance at the very end. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a battle of consistency, right? Like, are we going to get good Bo Nicks or bad Bo Nicks? Are we going to get the complete package for Mississippi State? Or are they going to have some faltering pieces? Because we said the same thing, that their front seven was going to cause some issues for Arkansas. And Arkansas completely yeah, ran enough. over them. This could be another case of that. Bo Nicks could just refine himself and be strong again this is a game that's impossible for me to evaluate i i think both of these teams are very equally ranked it's a noon game too that's a that's a weird one i mean 
I'm going to have to cut my work day short, that's for sure, which, hey, it'll it'll probably hurt the, the bill paying, but, eh, what are you going to do? Got to gotta support the boys, right? But, hey, moving on to the next ranked matchup we got here. I mean, hey, solid, mat, solid week of matchups in the SEC with uh, Texas A&M versus Ole Miss. Um, Can both these yeah. teams lose, please? I, I, please? Would, I would rather both of these teams lost. I don't really like either of them. I mean, I guess Ole Miss at the end of the day probably has a better offense and the defense is like, I mean, they don't have to be great against Zach Calzada. Let's be honest here. He hasn't been a world beater by any stretch of the imagination at QB. So, I mean, yeah, I got Ole Miss in this one. Not really enthusiastic about it, but yeah, I got Ole Miss. Yeah, I think Ole Miss is going to win this. Um, Last week, having a bit of a defensive battle feels like an anomaly. They're going to go back to lighting it up, and Zach Calzada is not going to keep up. With that, we're going to move to the battle for the golden boot. We got LSU at Arkansas. Arkansas is ranked 25. LSU is clinging on to life support, looking for a 500 season. Um, LSU is LSU, battered. We're untalented because we have a bunch of young players. We completely lack any source of leadership. But we've generally had Arkansas's number in the past years. Um, and Arkansas just came off of a very, very tough win against Mississippi State. So, hey, maybe they're sleeping a little bit on an LSU team that's been very up and down this season. Yeah, it's it's in Death Valley, so I, I would give them at least a puncher's chance because, you know, we've both been in that environment. It's, been, it's a really raucous atmosphere. I mean, Arkansas is probably going to have snap troubles all day. K.J. Jefferson has not been in that, that environment yet, so it might give them a little bit of pause there. I mean, obviously, he's been in hostile environments before this season, but he's not been been at LSU. So they've at least got a chance there. But at the end of the day, Arkansas is a better team top to bottom. So I think they'll probably win it in a close one. Yeah, there's no argument there. I mean, we we know about the adversity LSU is going through, and it is not helping their team at all. There's a reason they're four and five. Yeah, I mean, it's like like the, the, the best players are just trying to get through to the end of the season. Some of the second tier players are kind of thinking, okay, the next regime probably isn't going to want me. Where am I transferring to? I mean, it's one of those things where, yeah, you're just limping to the end of the season with your LSU. We're going to move into the East Coast where we've got in the ACC, NC State versus Wake Forest. NC State's a ranked opponent. This is exactly what Wake Forest needs after struggling a little bit against UNC. It's going to be a very fun game. Uh, ESPN's football performance index actually has NC State favored to win this one. And I think a lot of that is because Devin Leary has 2,475 passing yards. He's got 25 touchdowns to three interceptions. So this is going to be another shootout. Probably very close to, if not north of 100 points. 25 to 3 is a is a sexy TD to interception ratio. I'll tell you that much. But yeah, just a, another Big 12 QB in the ACC here. What else is new? But Wake Forest only plays exciting games. This is probably going to look exactly like the game last week against UNC. I mean, it's going to be like stupid 50 to 45 type of game. I don't know what the over-under is. They're probably going to set it at like around 100 if I had to guess. I mean, this is just going to be... One of the fun ones to watch. I don't know what time it is, but I'm setting the clock to it and watching it because it's going to be great. Yeah, and on the other side, we have UNC versus Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's ranked number 21, and they are 7-2 and two as well. I 
I will have to research the uh, alignment of the conferences. I'm not as privy to that as I am in uh, other divisions, but this feels like a game where both quarterbacks, Sam Howell and Kenny Pickett, really have to prove something so they can get into the Heisman hunt, but also maybe to get a chance at a second game against Wake Forest. Yeah, and this is going to look, I mean, basically a lot like that that Wake Forest uh, NC State game. A lot like the UNC Wake Forest game last week. Another big old shootout with no defense whatsoever. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch between two really good quarterbacks who are going to get drafted very highly. So, yeah, another one where the ACC, they might not have the greatest football in the world, but they have some of the greatest football games in the world, man. It is, it is fun to watch, if nothing else. So to move into our group of five watch, where we see some of the uh, most exciting games that might not be on television primetime, we have Nevada at 7-2 and two up against San Diego State. San Diego State, so I have to put some respect on their punter because their punter can pretty consistently oh, yeah. hit it 80 yards. Yeah, apparently he's really a nice, monster. But, he's a monster, apparently. But that's about all they have. Yeah. I mean, yes, special teams is a very valuable part of the team, but it's not on the field as much as offense and defense. But I think that Nevada is going to win this game. Because Carson Strong has 3,197 passing yards, a 70.5% completion rate, and has 25 touchdowns to 7 interceptions. And I feel like there's a lot of Josh Allen in him. You come from one of those quieter kind of Midwest schools. You've got a big arm. And he's just really carrying this Nevada team to 7-2. and two. It's a surprise that Nevada is not in consideration for a ranking over some of these three. I mean, I guess the I guess the small school and, and big arm comparison kind of holds for Josh Allen. But at the end of the day, he's gotten farther, farther and farther in the negative <laughs> as he's gone on with the uh, with the rushing yards. I think this year he's like he's, an artillery cannon. He's next. Boom. He is negative one twenty three on the year, I believe, thus far. I'm I'm not entirely sure, but that's just just what I remember. He's actually better polished through the air than Josh Allen was. I'm just saying. So I mean, there is that thirty two hundred yards. Maybe more like a Carson Wentz then. Yeah, I think maybe maybe Carson Wentz is a little bit better. I guess he's probably got a little bit of gunslinger in him. He's probably even more polished than Carson Wentz was coming out as as a passer, anyways. But I do think hoping Ellis or Saints take him, dude. We'll see. The Saints get Carson Strong. We'll see what happens. Maybe the Vikings will take someone too. <laughs> it's never going to happen. They just feel like hurting me. But uh, either way, I do think San Diego State will probably end up dropping this game. They have to be one of the most like, do all of the committee members like sit up and watch this team? Like, holy shit, they have to be in the top 25. Because like, there's no other way like looking at the numbers that they should be up here, right? Like it... Yeah, I, I legitimately don't understand, especially since they got hosed in their most recent game as well. Exactly, yeah. They were up, uh, who, who was it they were playing? They were down Fresno 30 State. to 0 to Fresno. Yeah, they, or I think it was it was 20 to 0, my apologies. It was 30 to 20 at the end. Yeah, I mean, but it, they were basically up like 30 to 7 at one point. Then they let off the gas. Like, I guess they just didn't, all you had to do was like look at the scoring summary to really get that point. Like, you see at a certain point it's 30 to 7 and then Fresno State stops scoring and San Diego State starts scoring. Like it's not rocket science. They let off the gas. They didn't give a shit on defense so they finally got yards. I mean, 
whatever. I feel like if they lose this week, the, the problem will take care of itself. So we'll just let nature take its course. And for our final game, Southern Miss is 1-8, and eight, and they're going up against the 9-0 and oh UTSA Roadrunners. Let's go. Let's put some respect on the Roadrunners. Let's put some respect on San Antonio because if they win out, I am wholeheartedly convinced they are going to the playoffs. Uh, we'll see. It, it could happen. Uh, I would, I would, I would uh, draw your attention to the way that the committee has treated the group of five thus far, Shit. and a similar, similar undefeated team in Cincinnati that's also not going to make it even if they win out. So while they probably won't make the playoffs, they will probably get a solid bowl appearance. They'll get a good like, I mean, probably not New Year's six, but one of those one of those bowls with a solid team against them where everyone's going to see them. But at the end of the day, in this one, it comes down to this. Eagles are generally more majestic birds than roadrunners. Road you got to give them that. You know, they're majestic. They're the, the birds of America, if you will. But these eagles look like they got some fucking bird flu or something. I mean, do all the health and safety precautions right now, but put them out of their misery, roadrunners. Peck those motherfuckers to death. With that, we are all done with the NCAA world. And we're going to move into some MLB and NBA. And... Now, I know this isn't how we storyboarded it, but I want to start with the MLB, get that kind of out of the way before we dive into what everybody probably knows we're going to talk about with the M- NBA. I really just want to draw your attention in the MLB to the Oakland Athletics because, dude, if there's one thing we can rely on is that when the <laughs> Athletics get good and they got to start paying their players, there's going to fire sale. They start looking at they that are... possible payroll and they're just like, Ooh, I don't know about all this, man. This is a lot of numbers. They've got Matt Olson that they're putting on trade. They got Matt Campbell or Matt Chapman that they're putting on trade. They got Sean Manaya going on trade. Uh, they've got two other pitchers. All three pitchers are entering arbitration for next season. So that means that in the 2023 season, they're going to be looking for a lot of money. And um, yeah, fans are pretty pissed about this. I mean, season ticket holders are talking about the fact that they keep raising prices in the stadium, keep raising prices of the tickets and the conveniences there. And instead they're selling off all their players. They're not really adding to their payroll and they were a playoff contender until very late in the season this past year. So uh, props to props to the Oakland days really taking the money ball effect to heart there. Yeah, I mean they were the originators of the of the Moneyball strategy. Uh, there is it safe to say they're basically the Cincinnati Bengals of the MLB, where they just refuse to spend money on anything whatsoever. I think they're more like the Jets or the Jags. You think so? The Jags are like the Jags have like sixty million dollars in cap. You okay, but that. but here's the thing: at the same time, the cons have at least like invested. In the franchise itself, like they put a whole bunch of amenities and shit in their stadiums and stuff and a bunch of attractions so they can raise ticket prices. I feel like the... I would say the Texans. Okay, maybe. I I have no idea. I feel like Jack Easterby is doing a hell of a job down there, though, okay? He's the... Jesus Christ speaks through him, okay? So you you watch... Yeah, and speaks to him for one win on the season. Yeah, for however many wins it was, he's he's crip walking all the way to the number one overall pick, man. I'll tell you that much. But uh, yeah, the the A's are truly one of the great cheap ass teams in all of sports. It's uh it's great to see a team just stay on brand. Yeah, and to further add to this, there's the nice dichotomy of both New York teams are looking to cash in. 
The Yankees want to get Matt Olsen. He'll be a very, very solid first baseman for them. I guess they don't want Anthony Rizzo. And the Mets are interested in Matt Chapman as well as all their pitchers. So, uh, yeah, pretty much two different sides of the spectrum there as New York continues to pay and the Oakland A's continue to get as cheap as possible. But with that, we're going to move straight into the NBA. Caleb, you want to take this one on? Because you know much, much more about good old Sarver than I do. Oh, yes. The uh, the, the Phoenix Suns owner, Robert Sarver, got himself into a, a bit of a situation here. ESPN posted an article, I believe it was by uh, Baxter Holmes, uh, over the past 17 years, kind of chronicling Robert Sarver's... Uh, Trans, transgressions, if you will, as far as workplace environment. If you've kind of followed the NBA at all, you're kind of un, you're kind of under the impression you know already about Sarver. He's right there with Dolan as far as one of the worst, if not the worst owners in the league. Really, since Dolan has taken a step back from his team, I think Sarver is far and away the worst owner in the league. And even with all of the good stuff going on now, it's much of the same. But let's, let's get into it a little bit. Um, apparently, just right off the top, Sarver's taking a, a bit of a page out of the old Papa John playbook and getting a little fast and loose with the N-word. Let me, let me read you a, a, a classic example here where uh, when Sarver was explaining his decision to a staffer on why he hired uh, head coach Earl Watson, uh, a black man, over a white candidate, he said, and I quote, these N-words need a N-word. <laughs> I feel like it's horrible when you lay it out like that, but there's a certain level of ignorance that's just like, it's just peak level of hilarious when someone's just so ignorant that they think that that's a good idea. Right, Zach? <laughs> I think my favorite part is that he's really, uh, he really learned a lot from LaMarcus Aldridge. He tried to get him to go to <laughs> Those the Phoenix Suns. one of my favorite Suns. parts, dude. And, and ultimately, Aldridge, you know, he uh, he ended up having an unexpected child. And so he decided to stay in San Antonio so that he could be near his family. And Sarver's sitting here. He's like, ooh, that's a good idea. Let me get let me get a bunch of strippers. Let me get them for our players. Get them some, uh, <laughs> some surprise pregnancies. And they'll all want to stay, too. Fuck it, Devin Booker's going to take a pay cut. Chris Paul's going to want to stay here for another decade, and we're going to build up a franchise here. And I mean, this guy, this guy was just a machine for crazy quotes. Like he said, and I quote, "I don't like diversity." Nice. Also, another one. Why do all you why do all you women around here cry so much? Like, how can you be more oblivious to the problem than that? He also referred to his staffers as inventory. Makes you feel like a real human, right, when you're working there? I mean, you can kind of see... Dude, so so real real quick. So I used to um, work at this print shop, and my boss came in, and he kind of took me in as like a protege since I was studying business in college. And um, obviously him being a... He was actually a millionaire at this point. He had a few uh, small businesses, he took me in and he starts like laying things out. He's like, look, man, I want you to become like a manager. I want to pay you some money, start getting you on some benefits and stuff while I was like in the middle of college. Mm -hmm. Right. And he's sitting here and he's like, so look, one of the big things that's led to my success, I think of everything as a dollar. You see you, you're 50 bucks a day. You see her, she's 50 bucks a day. They make me 60 bucks every hour on that. So that's $300 on a five hour shift. That's 250 bucks. I'm sitting there. I'm just like. 
bro, what what the fuck makes you think that this makes me flattered? Yeah. Like, you're literally equating me to a dollar sign, and I'm wow. a fucking human. Thanks, man. I really like being equated to $50. Also being told that my $50 is way less than I should be getting paid. Thank you so much for letting me know that, sir. I mean, yeah. It's just one of those situations where, like, apparently he was also trying to get in like really the hallmark of basically any bad owner. He butt in like anywhere he could on the basketball operations side. Of course. Apparently he was having like, I don't know if it was nightly, but at least like weekly, every other day sort of thing, meetings with the coaching staffs, trying to give like coaching points when he obviously had no idea what he was talking about. Like there were incident, incident instances where he would be going on a tirade about like, I don't know, doing like a pick and roll in the lane or some shit. And then someone would come by and well, not someone would come by. One of the, one of the head coaches or the assistant coaches rather in the, in the meeting would just be like, Hey, that doesn't make any sense. And here's why. And then he'd be like, <laughs> Oh man, like ur, 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 I fucking fucking hate it. But when it, when it comes right down to it, when the, when the owner is in the locker room, right that he kind of makes it known that, Hey, I'm, I'm a basketball guy. Kind of like, it builds an environment. He's trying his hardest, man. You got to give him props for that, okay? That's that's the big problem, though, with these owners. They think that they have the magic touch because they made all these millions of dollars. But when it comes to basketball, they don't know jack shit and they can't admit it. So they come in and they look like jackasses in the locker room. And they try to assert their know-how where they really have none. And as a result, I mean, basically he played favorites with the coaches. And it turned into basically, as one of the coaches put it, it becomes more of a circus and let's stand up and clap and appease Robert as opposed to doing what our job actually is, which is trying to coach the basketball game, which makes a whole lot of sense with how the team has performed under Sarver, especially the last couple of years where they've been dismal up until this championship year. Yeah, and just to add to the fire, um, his wife Penny Sarver on Tuesday night um, decided she was going to reach out to a couple of former employees who were whistleblowers and tried to write the bridge, um, saying things such as, I hope you realize you're ruining our family. <laughs> you need to stop with all the scandal. Um, this is really bad for us, and we'll, it'll be really bad for you. Now, I will say, it's not explicitly an intimidation. At least not all three of them are. But they yeah. definitely look like a heavy condemnation on something that is immoral. And that just kind of really epitomizes everything that's going on with this, I feel like. She just completely blew it open at this point. I mean, when you see the picture that's painted, it becomes very clear what what is going on on the business side of the operations. I mean, it's straight up just like, a classic boys club atmosphere where, you know, women are treated as less than and HR is basically just a puppet of upper management when it's all said and done. I mean, if you were, if you were a white male executive, you could do basically anything you wanted from the way it seemed. I mean, one of the executives called a subordinate for a black coworker for a long time. He just called him Carlton over and over again nice. to the point where he told him to dance the Carlton. The guy told him over and over, the guy that he was calling Carlton, to stop calling him Carlton, and he just kept on doing it. Like, I mean, it is wild some of the stuff that was going on. And I mean, some of the, like, a current employee there right now wrapped up the article in an awesome way and saying, 
if I knew, and I wish I knew what I was coming into, I would have never taken the job here. Never. And that's someone who's working there right now during arguably some of the best times in the organization's history, and everyone is still fucking miserable there. As a result of all of this, the NBA is now looking into it with Adam Silver's history of the way he's treated owners who've had transgressions like this. I mean, obviously, in the Donald Sterling case, he had the very damning uh, audio evidence of Sterling saying wild shit on multiple different occasions where they won't have that with Sarver. Sarver's a little bit more cunning, but with the NBA coming in, they were shielded by a wall of NDAs to this point. I think they're, they're about to crack open the egg and Sarver is about to be forced out, which is, by all accounts, good for the NBA as a whole. That dude yep. stinks as an owner. I think uh, we've hit the nail on the head with that, and we're going to move into something a little more whimsical. Yeah, this is a lot more fun. <laughs> There's a bit of feud brewing between the Jokic family and the Morris family. For those who didn't see on Monday night, um, the Nuggets and the Heat played, and towards the end of the game, Markeith Morris Jr. kind of like bumped into Nikola Jokic, um, at half court, it looked like it was kind of like a cup check. It didn't look like it was like that bad. Hey, he got fined for but, it. He got fined for it. Yeah. But, it, I mean, he ended up getting a flagrant foul too for it, right? Because it was still very inexplicable. Like, there was no reason for him to go the way he did. Kind of like the Cassius Mars stuff, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, but in retaliation, in classic Eastern <laughs> block movement, Nikola Jokic turns around, says, you said what, mate? And fucking shoved his ass. No, it was just a complete blatant overreaction. He ended up getting ejected from the game. He suspended for the next game for the Nuggets. And the best part is that Mark- or Marcus Moore Sr., his twin brother, came out on Twitter and in a very joking manner was like, hey man, you need to like chill the fuck out. This is some bullshit that you're doing here. And the Jokic brothers, who were just scary motherfuckers, like the kind of guys that'll like try to start a fight in a bar, take you into the alley and beat the shit out of you, made a Twitter account. Look, they're brothers of a they're brothers of a seven foot guy. That that's really all you need to know. And they're the scarier. (laughs) Yeah, they're They're the the scarier scarier guys. (laughs) Like (laughs) like they got tattoos all down their arms. And I mean these dudes, <laughs> I think the best part is they made a Twitter account specifically to address this, and they signed every tweet with Jokic Brothers, just to make just sure so that everyone know. knows that it's them. Just so you know who it is, but I will say <laughs> right now to the Morris Twins, little PSA, you want none of that smoke, dude. Hell no. There is a, there is a big no. difference between America Tough, with which, hey, I'll give it to you guys. I think the Morris Twins are, are tough as far as American terms are considered. There's a big difference between that and war-torn Eastern Block Tough, and that's what the fucking Jokic brothers are. They have seen some shit that would probably make your skin crawl. They do not care what happens to you at the end of the day. You're talking shit on their brother, and they must defend their family. So I would just politely say you have a good point, agree to disagree, and go your separate ways because you don't want to keep escalating this between these absolute monsters of human beings. I mean, there's still like six, nine, like basically 300 pound behemoths of men. Yeah. And last postseason, um, 
Jokic kind of got into a bit of a spat with Devin Booker. It ended up being kind of bench clearing during the playoffs. <laughs> and the Jokic brothers were off on the sideline on the court, just fucking egging them on, being like, yeah, beat the shit out of them. Yeah. They were like, I bet if there wasn't as much security there, they totally would have jumped over those they are the type of people. fight themselves. They are the type of people that go to bars specifically to fight, it feels like. Oh, like 100%. They, they are there. They're going to pull you into the alley and they're going to pound you into submission. But much like that Devin Booker fight, Literally no one on the Miami Heat wanted to step to to Nikola Jokic. They started getting real loud when he got off the court. But when he was there, I mean, there's just something about Nikola Jokic. I mean, it's not like he's even like, he's strong, but he's not like big in a, like, in a way that you would kind of consider to be like big and muscular. There's just something. I feel like he's just like savage. There, there is something about Nikola Jokic, like the the facial expression, the demeanor that's just like, I don't want to fuck with this guy. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if there's another guy in the NBA that you would want to fuck with less than Nikola Jokic right now. I would. I would. Put I feel that like. Out there. I feel like it's a lot like Khabib, where he was just like wrestling bears as a child the to get was, stronger. I bet Jokic did some shit like K- that too. Khabib was was swimming literally like against like a hard current in a Russian like frozen river. Like, keeping up with the current, too. Like, that dude was made of something. He's not human. That dude is probably living off the land right now, having an absolute ball. Going off into the sun- sunset is really, I think, he's probably the only undefeated person ever to come out of the UFC, right? They usually kind of, like, flame out at the end. So, hey, good yeah. good for him. I mean, he he left while he was still in his prime. I think, like, dude, I wish he if he had stayed, stayed in, I wish he racked up stayed. some more wins, I mean, he could contest Muhammad Ali for one of the greatest fighters of all time, maybe. Yeah, no matter what the sport is, honestly, that guy was just absolutely insane. I understand why he stepped away, but it's, uh, yeah. It was very emotional, but it was, I mean, tons of respect for that. I have no idea what he's like as a person. He's probably a savage person who (laughs) I'm just going to have a complete culture shock talking to. But, like, respect to him for the way that he went out. I mean, he went on on top after a very emotional win. And, um... To get back to the point, I feel like Nikola Jokic probably grew up in very similar atmospheres where he was fighting bears, he was riding against currents, and that's why him and his brothers are bad motherfuckers that, that nobody wants to mess with in the NBA. Yeah, man, man, fuck bears. They were fighting each other, man. But uh, hey, we've already derailed enough on that conversation, and we have gone long as hell. A third straight podcast talking about bears. Just a heads up. We're a bears we are podcast now. One of the biggest bears podcasts, with the exception of the ones in Chicago, uh, Fuck the Bears, and yeah, I will... fuck the Chicago Bears. Every single other bear. Colorado Bears, those are badass. I, mean, I love I love all sorts of bears as long as Russian they're... Russian ba- bears? Big, sexy Russian bears, they're pretty good. But uh, again... Bear cats. Bear cats are pretty great. Again, I'm trying to make it so the last thing said in the podcast of substance is... Fuck the Bears, dude. All right? But anyways, thank you all for listening to the episode. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe and leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. If you didn't enjoy it, just go away. Leave us be. We don't really need your negativity in this channel. We're trying to keep our chakras nice and aligned. So just leave a five-star yeah, rating. Fuck you guys. And fuck all the haters. Get on out of here. I'm trying to work on my chi with Aaron Rodgers. I heard it helps with COVID. But uh, anyways, we, we put out episodes twice a week. NFL on Tuesdays, college football on Thursdays. Follow us on Twitter at Caleb Verzak and at Zachary Mullen. We got the links down in the description so you don't have to spell those weird fucking names. Um, Thank you so much for tuning into Unqualified Analysis. And as always, 
We have no idea what we're talking about. Enjoy the weekend. It is a great group of games, man.